Please listen for God's word. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on earth, distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then Jesus told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and with the worries of this life, and that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. We celebrate the written word of Scripture. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It is the first Sunday in Advent, and as happens every year, while the rest of the world is singing about silver bells and mistletoe, spiking the eggnog and looking for the best deals at the mall, Christian churches are talking about the end of the world. Merry Christmas and ho, ho, ho to you too. In this morning's passage in Luke, Jesus sounds like one of those guys standing on a downtown street corner wearing a sandwich board. The end is near. The Mayan calendar doesn't have a January 2013, but then neither does the calendar that my realtor sends me every year, and I think by now most people have figured out this does not mean the end of the world is coming. And as scary as the fiscal cliff might be, it won't cause heaven and earth to pass away. But that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Heaven and earth will pass away. These verses in Luke are apocalyptic. People turn to apocalyptic thinking and writing out of desperation. When all the usual solutions have failed, and so you look for a solution outside, from outside. Near the beginning of the long Christmas poem, For the Time Being, W.H. Auden writes this confession. Nothing can save us that is possible. We who must die demand a miracle. That is the impulse, the prayer, the cry, and the whimper of apocalyptic. An old friend of mine tells a story about how she finally understood apocalyptic literature. She was headed from her small town in Iowa to Iowa City to pick up a pair of new black pumps to wear when she preached at an ecumenical Thanksgiving Day service. She just had enough time to make it there and back. 
Her two-year-old son was in the car with her. It was stormy. Think of the Pineapple Express, but add ice. And she ended up in an awful crash. The headlights of a semi that pulled up behind her lit up the scene of broken glass and blood, and she realized that her son was seriously injured. She feared for his life. Finally, they heard sirens. She writes, The discordant, high-pitched screeching came at us like a symphony. Only in this and in a handful of other traumatic circumstances in my life have I heard something akin to an Advent invasion as it was intended to be. Those sirens were good news with capital letters. Now, my friend's son is fine, by the way. He's 20 years old with only one false tooth as a memento of the day. But he's living testimony that when you need to be rescued, those sirens are good news. That is apocalyptic literature. Things are awful, but God is near. God is on the way. Listen for the sirens. There are people that we know and people we don't know, people sitting alongside us this morning and people on the other side of the globe who need to hear the sirens of rescue right now. Now, as Cornelius Plantinga points out, when our own kingdom has had a good year, we aren't necessarily looking for God's kingdom. When life is good, rescue, the word Jesus uses is redemption. Rescue and redemption don't feel very urgent. That's how things go. God's redemption is good news for people whose life is bad news. If you're a slave in Pharaoh's Egypt or a slave in Antebellum, Mississippi, you want your redemption. If you're an Israelite exiled in Babylon or a Palestinian exiled in Gaza, you want redemption. The sirens are good news. But we are all God's people, and so even when our own life is sweet, we are called to notice and to respond when other li- others' lives aren't sweet. Across the pew, across the room, and across the world. Our Advent theme this year is Christmas peace. When the angels announced Jesus' birth to the shepherds watching their flocks, they sang of peace. 2,000 years later, that peace still eludes us. Historian Will Durant estimated that in all of human history, only 29 years, 29 years, can be described as free of war. And in all the centuries, the one just passed sets the record for bloodletting. Besides the obvious human costs and lives lost and bodies and minds broken, the economic costs of war just to our country since 2001 are between three and four trillion dollars and counting. Put that in your fiscal cliff. What world problems, poverty, disease, hunger, homelessness, could we address with four trillion dollars? Maybe those sirens are meant for all of us after all. Maybe this is an authentic emergency. 
The days are surely coming, says the prophet Jeremiah, when God will fulfill God's promises, when God will execute justice and righteousness in the land, when we will live in safety, and when the city of Jerusalem, the city named for peace, will be known as the Lord is our righteousness. Jeremiah knows that the two, peace and righteousness, or a better translation might be justice, are connected. There will be no peace if there is no justice. So we have God's promise, and we have Jesus' assurance that God's kingdom really is near. The kingdom of God is the phrase that Jesus used to describe what life in this world would look like if we lived as though God were the ruler of our hearts and minds and lives, not Caesar or anyone else or anything else competing for our loyalty. It is so near that sometimes we can see it, feel it, even live it. Live as though it is here now. And so Jesus says we're supposed to keep our heads up. We're not to work ourselves into a dither worrying or drink ourselves to distraction. We are to stay alert. Jesus' words are meant to raise our heads and raise our hopes. Advent doesn't point to Christmas. It points to ultimate rescue, to the fulfillment of God's promises when God's kingdom is not only near, not only sometimes real, a little bit here, but truly and finally here, finally real for all. While we're waiting for that, if we do not have hope that God's promise of peace is possible, if we do not long for peace, There will be no peace. And although Advent doesn't point to Christmas, we know know that that's how it ends. That's how Advent ends. With that vulnerable baby born to poor parents in a stable. So Advent invites us to turn our hopes and longings away from Rome, that is to search outside the halls of power, and to look toward Bethlehem, that is, toward the unexpected the unassuming, the small, the young, for signs of hope, for the ways that God is emerging in our midst and that Christ is at work in the world. I heard a story last week about a peace initiative called Ultimate Peace. David Barkin is a Marin psychotherapist who's played a sport called Ultimate Frisbee now for over 30 years. Ultimate Frisbee is a team sport that's a bit like soccer or football, but with a Frisbee. One of the very unique aspects of Ultimate Frisbee is that there are no referees, no umpires. This means that in addition to athletic skills, the players need to develop conflict resolution skills and a deep sense of fair play, because essentially every player is a ref. Every player can call a foul. Barkin and his wife, Nancy Melrose, took several trips to Israel. In fact, Nancy lived there for a time. And they were heartbroken by the conflict and the seemingly intractable hatred that they witnessed. And they had an idea. The Middle East needs ultimate Frisbee. In 2009, they started a camp in Tel Aviv where 120 Middle Eastern youth from Israel and the West Bank learned the game. 
Coaches flew in from around the world to teach them how to throw a Frisbee, but also how to work as a team and resolve any on-field disagreements. Arabs and Jews played on the same team. They practiced and socialized and shared dance and language and music from their cultures. Frisbees were thrown, goals were caught, and high fives were exchanged between Jewish, Arab, and Palestinian youth for the very first time. Today, grounded in five core values of mutual respect, friendship, nonviolence, integrity, and fun, Ultimate Peace sponsors several summer camps throughout the region for kids ages 11 through 16, boys and girls, Christians, Jews, and Muslims. The kids are building friendships across their differences. They're learning peacemaking skills. In fact, one girl said that as a result of Ultimate Peace, she's going to spend the rest of her life as a peace fighter. Kids living in Beit Sahur in the West Bank contacted their friends in Tel Aviv on Facebook during the recent conflict in, with Gaza to make sure that their friends were okay. A 15-year-old Arab girl wearing a hijab, that's the headscarf, and a Star of David on her uniform recently competed in the Ultimate Frisbee World Championships in Ireland. Ultimate Frisbee, ultimate peace, from our Advent perspective, nothing is ultimate yet. We await real rescue. But we can stand up. We can raise our heads, we can open our eyes, we can hear the sirens as good news. And we can light that first Advent candle, the candle that represents hope, because those who hope in Christ can no longer put up with reality as it is. That is the call and the purpose and the prayer of Advent. May it be so for you and for me. Amen.